0: Yeah, <laughs> do with my Oreo. Yeah. Okay, good. Do um, we really, he's, really he's, know what happened? The brother did. The brother, that's what I thought too. <laughs> I mean, that seems like kind of obvious. Hey, do you want to talk
1: about it? death? Yeah. <laughs> I mean Mystery I, murdery, murdery
0: Thingy. thingy. <laughs> hey guys.
1: Hey. Welcome to Mystery, mystery, mystery Murdery thingy. thingy. Oh my yeah. god, we said it at the same time. Oh my god, oh it's wow. almost like we've
0: done this before. Oh
1: my god, what said is Just this? now
0: episode eight zero eighty.
1: <gasps> wow that's super exciting oh right? my god
0: but it's been more weeks cuz we've like sort of skipped a couple of weeks but anyway anyway impressive right
1: i am impressed by us I'm i proud did of us. not
0: honestly know if we were going to make it this far when we well, started well i remember the first two thing- years ago <laughs> i remember
1: like the first thing you like talked about was like you were like okay, well, we have to keep going, right?
0: Well, I feel like that's the charm of, like, podcasts that we like, you know? Like, My Favorite Murder, Last Podcast. Like, they've just been doing it for so long, you know? Or, like, Kind of Funny games cast. They were talking about how they, like, used to do it in their, like, basement, like, years ago, you know? And it's like, yeah, that could be us. And then, like, people listen. When we were sitting in the fucking car, <laughs> talking. Like, oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Days. I'm Mario, by the way.
1: I'm Chloe.
0: I guess I'll go first.
1: Yes, yes, yes.
0: Because I always like to go first. Okay, so I'm going to do a- another like kind of two-parter focusing on an area for like murder mysteries of this place. You know, we've done like murder in Great Britain. We've done the murder in Midwest. Now I'm doing murders in Africa. So just anywhere on the continent. I'll do
1: that and I'll join you next
0: time. Yeah. Next week. And yeah, we'll both do it next week. Awesome. I mean, there's a lot, obviously. So this week I'm going to do a couple of unsolved single murders and the next week I'm gonna do at least one unsolved serial killer. So, okay, but
1: there's murder everywhere.
0: It's true. It's it it's a natural human phenomenon. It's unfortunate. It shouldn't happen, but unfortunately, it's universal throughout all time and place, <laughs> and class, and ethnicity, and anything else. Like pe- people murder other people, and it's usually, it's usually the someone husband or the know. wife or a family member or someone you. That's what's so creepy about it. And definitely one of these is going to is gonna involve that, but not the, the first one. So the first one I'm going to do um, starts out early, early in the morning on Saturday, July 9th of 2016. Okay. So not too long ago. So it's real early, and it's on a dirt road behind a mosque in the outskirts of the capital city of Nigeria, which is called Abuja. But this is, like, way out, you know. Oh, um, I have
1: Nigerian blood.
0: Oh, uh, look at you. So, um, specifically, this was in the Gebizango extension area of Kubwa. So, this Kubwa is like a little satellite city of Abuja. And this is like this little, like, kind of industrial area. And this is also where this woman named Eunice Olawale likes to go and do her morning preaching. Every morning, without fail, um, pretty much. She's there um, between 5 and 6 a.m. So, um, she had set herself up, right, replete with her Bible, her her bullhorn, you know, her, um, and uh, she was just there doing her street preacher thing, right, and we've covered some street preachers, you know, in the past, Henry Weston Smith, if you recall, from Deadwood, um, and Clarence 13X, you know, in Brooklyn yes. in the 20th century, again, this is one of these universal human phenomena of people doing street preaching, which, which um, I, th- I think is pretty cool. Uh, even though I'm not a religious person myself. It's just it's a cool idea. That someone would go out there and just like feel compelled to just like say their piece, you know.
1: There's a couple street preachers on campus all the time.
0: Yes. And you know, these obviously it varies, right? I'm not like endorsing everyone who's ever done street preaching at all, or any of them necessarily, but I'm saying, okay. So anyway, Eunice was out out there doing her thing. And um according to sources, um, what or uh, this kind of one particular witness, I guess, that uh, as to kind of what happened next. So, according to a witness named Emmanuel Asonwa, who told this magazine pulse, quote, "I was exercising within my compound that early morning when I heard footsteps of people running. They pursued the woman from this way, pointing at an opposite direction before they killed her, near that transformer, he said. When I heard her shouting in the footsteps, I just went inside my house. My neighbors and I were discussing the issue when a guy in my compound who went clubbing the previous night came back with news that a woman was killed behind the Transformer. I had never seen her before until that day, but most people here, uh, most people here said she is a very nice and peaceful woman. A close quote. Which is what everyone also kind of says about uh, Unisola wale that she she was very, like, devout. Um, and outspoken, but she was, like, very nice. She didn't, and her husband said this too and everything, like, she didn't necessarily have any, you know, known enemies per, per se, but there is this kind of, you know, in Nigeria, as with a lot of other countries, a lot of tensions between different religious groups, right? Specifically between Christians and Muslims, not only between those two groups, but, but, in this specific area between those two groups. For example, Mm. Eunice Olawale and her family lived right next to a mosque and the place where she liked to preach was next to a different mosque. It was, they, they were, you know, in um, sort of eye to eye conflict with, with one another. And, um, Eunice actually had recently suspended her preaching because of, um, threats that she had been kind of like hearing about, um, so, you know, when she left that, her, her husband, uh, Elisha that morning, um, they both kind of were aware, you know, that it was, it was kind of dangerous what she was doing. I think that's, it's kind of necessary to, for that kind of context. So again, it's like this recurrent thing where people, they know they're in danger, but they, they know that this is like what they have to do. Right. Which is, is interesting. Yeah. We've had uh, yeah, a couple like,
1: people, we've talked about that before.
0: Again, but, and sometimes, unfortunately it leads people to their death, you know, and it's, I'm not blaming her, like, or anyone else who does that, right, I want to make that clear, but it's a, it's a tragic circumstance, right, I think is maybe the best way of saying it. So, um, she'd recently suspended for about a week, but on this morning, you know, she felt like the poll was too great, and she had to to go out there and, and do her thing. Um, so, yeah, so, okay, so specifically, um, they had, okay, it was, like, a few things. So um, there was, like, this um, guy from the mosque that they lived right next to who had come by asking for food for, like, the Islamic school. And Eunice was like, we don't have any food. I'm sorry. Like, we can't give you any food. And he went away. So that was, like, one kind of maybe negative interaction. Like, this was right before her death. Just trying to, like, establish, like, the circumstance, right? Mm-hmm. And then... Um, Eunice had also overheard some Muslims on the street saying that they were going to chase, like, her specifically, like, making this plan, basically, to chase her away from her spot. And uh, that was when she kind of decided to take the break, right? But then a week later, again, she, like, she decided to go back. So the news of this preacher woman being killed kind of spread quickly around the neighborhood, right? So it was between like five thirty and six uh, AM, or or so. I got I kind of read conflicting things about the time exactly, mm-hmm. but it was sometime before six thirty AM. And the first reports that came out, as sometimes happens, were like one incorrect and two like more sensational than reality. What was first being kind of spread around was that she had been stabbed and also decapitated Um, and that her head had been placed, like, on the Bible there at the spot with the megaphone next to her. That was not the case. That's more, you know, and and I don't, you know, again, we're not, like, here to, like, revel in gruesome details, it's about like this person you know and, and Eunice Olawale was like a person who was murdered but th- it's like something that tends to happen right and i only say that to demonstrate that like but that's not what actually happened she was stabbed in the stomach she her throat was slit and she was murdered right but um it wasn't that like i don't know movie dramatic or something yeah. it w- it was like a real thing um and blood was just pooled there oh. Um, yeah, just like on, on the, this kind of essentially the side of this kind of like dirt street, you know? Um, so reportedly there had been nothing stolen from her, including the Bible and the megaphone. There wasn't much that could have necessarily, but again, if we're talking about intent or motive, you know? Um, so yeah, the first that Eunice's husband, Elisha, heard about it was from his two sons. Now, at this point, they don't know that it's her necessarily, but the two sons who were out playing soccer have heard from some other, like, boys who were playing with them that this preacher had been killed, this female preacher had been killed. And um, here's kind of how a neighbor, a woman who goes by the uh, mononym, she only goes by one name, um, Asabe, described what happened. She said, quote, Mrs. Olawale normally go out for evangelism every day, And she was well-known in this area. We heard that a woman was killed around Pipeline Junction, some meters from the house. In fact, it was one of her sons who came back to tell his father that he learned a preacher was killed at the Pipeline Junction. We all went there and saw a lot of blood on the ground, but the police had evacuated her corpse to their station. When Mr. Elisha got to the station and saw his wife's corpse, he fainted and had to be revived. Close quote. So yeah, it's just devastating. And she had seven children. I didn't mention that. Seven children. Oh, wow. Yeah, oldest was 15 at the time that she was killed. Um so yeah, they, you know, um didn't know but then they they found out when they actually saw her body at the, I think what they said is that her body had just arrived and it was still in kind of the van in which they were, you know, taking it to the station when when uh, the family got there. Um and the police, you know, say, yeah, we're, you know, we're going to do, you know, this was a pretty high-profile crime in this, like, you know, part well, of, pretty, you know, in Cuba. she was pretty
1: well-known, right? She was
0: well-known in the neighborhood, for sure, and it was seen as a symbol, kind of, even nationally. And, and this is, like I said, right, you know, this is like something happens in a, you know, Fairfax, Virginia or something, you know, um, it's like near Washington, D.C., Okay, I you
1: was know, like, why was that so specific?
0: Oh, I, I don't know. You know, uh, somewhere right outside of, of our capital, I guess I'm saying. Um, but anyway, <laughs> um, it, it, the, uh, what was I going to say? The wife of the president actually came, I think it was the president or the governor, I can't remember, um, came to, like, console and, and, like, pay her kind of respects after it happened as well. So it was it was, like, a pretty high-profile crime. Um, and, like I said, the police said, you know, we're going to thoroughly investigate this. We're going to get to the bottom of this. Um, they even kind of um, got consultation with a higher kind of regional level of police. There were some early reports. There were, there were these six guys who got arrested. And that's really all that I ever heard about it and in any investigation. It seems to have not really happened, certainly not in the thorough manner that they told us that they were going to do. Mm-hmm. The Kuba police and this regional police force, but yeah, it's unfortunate. And the, the, yeah, this again, why uh, why these mysteries happen a lot of the times, and not just because in Abuja, the... you know, uh, in Nairobi, really everywhere. everywhere, here, in Bloomington, Illinois included. Like literally every place on the earth where there are police, they don't do a good enough job of finding out who murdered other people, to very varying extents. Look at different states, even. Have and different municipalities. Baltimore, it's like thirty percent murder clearance rate. What? There are parts of Chicago where it's less than that. That's fucked up. There are five neighborhoods in Chicago for five blocks in Chicago where like thirty percent of the murders happen. Anyway. Oh,
1: yeah, we've talked about that before.
0: It's crazy stuff like that. But um anyway, I kinda kinda got off, off the rails there a little bit. <laughs> but um a lot of the neighbors you know, who gave quotes to the sources, right, that I read, seemed to basically assume or kind of intimate that Eunice's killers were kind of these young men, right, who were attendants of the mosque uh, or mosques in that area. Um, I'd never heard about any evidence to that effect necessarily. Who's to say? But that's what everyone seemed to kind of think that it was. Um, and again, that's that was kind of the wider view of it in the nation and the press, right? It was, it was seen as this kind of, like, flashpoint of the conflict between the Christians and the Muslims, okay. you know, in, um, you know, not only, you know, Abuja, Nairobi, Nigeria, but, like, you know, like, the the wider African continent as well. Um, so, yeah, a lot was made of it, but not a lot was done necessarily to, like, investigate, um, which is unfortunate. Um, So, yeah, um, I'll kind of give the last words on this one to Eunice's husband, Elisha. Quote, quote. I see her as a martyr, and she died for Christ. And whether the people are caught or not, they should forgive them. My prayer is that if they can accept Christ, that will be a gain to Christ, the bereaved husband said. So, and like I said, you know, she and her, her, I mean, this was their whole thing. You know, she was out there, you know, on her mission, you know, fulfilling her duty as she saw it when she was, and I think that's an important part of this case, right, that it, and, and whether it was, you know, these Muslim, you know, young men who killed her or not, right, clearly that's the cast in which this story has been told, and, um it's hard not to to see it that way just from looking at her, just from the victim's perspective, right? Certainly that's how the family and her friends saw it. But like I said, who's to know? It's completely mysterious because no proper investigation at all seems to have been done. So I just want to be super clear that, like, we cannot say anything about who did this, even though it was done on a fairly busy street on, you know, on a, uh, well, it was a Saturday morning, but still... I don't know. It's crazy. Like again, fuck people who don't properly investigate. Okay, so my second and final story for this week is pretty different, um, but it's it's still the unsolved killing of a single woman. Um, it's the unsolved killing of this woman, Kareen Chipchumba. So at the time of her death, Kareen, w- um, uh, and this was February twelfth of twenty twelve. Was okay. was the date that she died? Okay, so a little bit. Earlier than a little like bit earlier, company. yeah. Um, Karine was a successful, upwardly mobile young woman working for Kenya Power, which is the main electrical supplier uh, for Kenya. Um, but she was also living kind of a double life. Um, so she had become yeah. friends, or possibly more than friends, with this older, famous man um, whose name is Luis Otieno who is apparently very famous in in Kenya as a a TV host, a TV anchor, like a news anchor, like a hard-hitting, like Chris Matthews, hardball kind of, you know, type anchor. And um, Louis Otieno was famous for being on TV, but he was also famous for living a very lavish lifestyle, um, as if he were rich. He bought expensive tailored suits, he ate at expensive restaurants, he drove fancy cars, drank fancy wine, he loved real expensive cigars. But only problem is, Lewis wasn't really making this money, right? He wasn't making enough money to fund this lifestyle, so he had to look for other ways. And um, Kareen's father claimed that one of the ways that he funded this lavish lifestyle was extorting money from Karina Chepchumba, from the victim. And oh, um, so this is Corrine's father speaking or, or, you know, attesting to this. And apparently other people did, too, at, at the inquest. And um, what they attested to, what Corrine's father attested to was that um, essentially Corrine was borrowing large sums of money from him. From you know family, for some reason, right? He didn't know, but he found this out. And on one occasion, Karina had even stolen a fairly large amount of money from him, from from her father. So clearly, okay. something crazy was going on, right? And she, it, it's not like she does this on a normal basis. It was very out of character. She was, you know, good student. Um, you know, like I said, she she had a good job. She was living on her own, had an apartment. But it all kind of started going south, right?
1: Everything goes to shit when money's involved.
0: M- money, what do they say? The 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 lust for money is the root of all evil or something? Um, so anyway, um, Kareem was kind of pushed, you know, to extremis by this, you know, extortion, essentially, if that's what was happening. Where Otieno was, um, you know, needing this money, right, to fund his... Uh, Not only lavish lifestyle, but also apparently his children's school fees, his rent, um, his health care. So, yeah, very, very strange uh, circumstance, I think. So anyway, uh, as a consequence of this, um, yeah, it was just kind of unsustainable. And according to Corrine's uncle, Edward Bittock, Corrine was planning on filing charges against Luis Sotiano soon. For extortion and getting a restraining order against him to not come by her apartment anymore because okay. apparently he would come by there and yeah, be creepy. Um, well, we don't know that's a part of it that's pretty mysterious. Whether was he being creepy, were they actually together secretly?
1: Oh, okay, so or we were they really not at don't... all? He
0: says they weren't.
1: Oh, we don't know for sure, we don't sure. really know oh, for sure, okay, I thought. but it okay. seems
0: like they were. Okay. And in some of the press reports, it's like kind of assumed, but it was, t- it was not entirely clear. And some of the re- reporting on this is, is from, it, it's a little more of the, it seems like a little more of like the People Magazine kind of thing from, you know, from, but from Kenya. So it's not as hard. Well, I say that People Magazine has hard repeat reporting too, but anyway. So um, the, it was, everything was coming to a head though. Okay, that's my point. Um, And shortly thereafter, Kareem Chupchumba was found strangled to death in her apartment. Seems like there's probably some connection here, right? Like, if she was, in fact, getting extorted, like, how could this not, right? Anyway, everything seems to be pointing in the direction of this guy, Luis Otieno, right? So that's that's kind of how I'm set, setting up that, um, of course, Luis Otieno vehemently denied this, and was quickly cleared completely by the police shortly after the crime happened at his re- specific request. Uh,
1: oh is it cuz he's it seems like he bought somebody out.
0: <laughs> I mean wh- again who knows but a little strange okay. Um also they didn't really yeah. do any forensics on him at all. They didn't get nail clippings to see if there were, you know, signs of defensive this was wounds. Uh yeah this is in 2012, um and and the, yeah it's, yeah it's pretty bad, and they didn't do any DNA analysis on him they didn't get his DNA profile they just didn't they just never got it and they still have or as far as the last thing that I read hadn't gotten it, and they also didn't um actually look at the GPS tracker on his phone to substantiate what he said his Where alibi was. was that he was in a different city that day but they didn't actually look at his GPS
1: tracker. He
0: did it. So anyway, we, we don't know. where it's, it's a mystery. They're always it. a mystery. That's that's why we never will be sued for libel because we can always just say, yeah, but our whole point is we don't accuse anyone of anything. It's that's all, true because it's, it's,
1: it's a mystery. It's a mystery. He
0: did it. Um, <laughs> Sometimes more or less of a mystery. So um, yeah, when the inquest, oh, and by the way, the inquest, right, it wasn't convened for four years for some reason.
1: Wait, what does that what does that mean?
0: It means that the police were just like, well, we'll look into it and then four years later we'll <gasps> we'll have an inquest where the coroner will decide the you know manner of death and Why? who might have done it.
1: Oh, and that's the question, I guess, right? Yeah.
0: Oh, Doesn't seem yes. above board. Doesn't seem entirely above board to me. But again, I'm not making any specific accusations. <laughs> I'm just throwing a lot of just, uh, shade. <laughs>
1: throwing a lot of shade there, aren't you? It's dark you know, in here.
0: You know who else was throwing a lot of shade? The coroner at that inquest was throwing a shit ton of shade at the police. Well. like Like, calling them out and specifically saying that they uh, bungled the investigation. Like, literally with that word. Massively bungled the investigation.
1: It's a good word? Um...
0: And apparently that's what happened here. Because, again, it happens all the fucking time. Uh, way too often. What the coroner did say, though, was that, quote, the cause of Kareen's death was not suicide. It was not accidental. The cause of death of Karine Shepchumba, Keeley, cannot be said to be undetermined. The cause was strangulation. These are inevitable findings. But that's all he could say. Because as to who did it, again... Police didn't really seem to be uh, doing their job in terms of finding that out, so, that's so it's frustrating. impossible to say. I feel like
1: those are the most frustr those are the most frustrating cases. The one where like it it, it should have been <laughs> something that had a high possibility of being solved with proper investigation, but it's not there. And that's and that and the the number one case that that fucks me up with is, of course, the JonBenet Ramsey case. Sure pisses me off.
0: Sure, but it's, you know, it's a lot of cases. So the last report I read was from June 2018, so about a year ago. Um, but it was just kind of updating that there's not really anything, you know, and, and and it was kind of telling the story. So while a pall of suspicion continues to hang over Luis Odieno. A what of suspicion? A pall, uh, a, a, a penumbra, uh, a cloud. How do you spell that? P-A-L-L.
1: I've I had, never heard I that had to look
0: it up to make sure I was using it correctly, and and I was, and I was. Uh, I was, no I bad. was, I, uh, yeah, humble brag. Uh <laughs> So while a pall of suspicion continued to hang over Luis Otiano, as his health deteriorated, as he faded from the public eye over the what the next few shit? years, and <laughs> apparently is yes, the piece of shit he apparently was, Corrine's um, murder remains very much mysterious. And apparently will continue to be, unless people do their fucking job. So anyway, uh, like I said, next week, more African murder mysteries. I guess Chloe's going to get in on the game, so that's cool. uh, Yeah, for sure. We'll talk about it. So let me do my sources. Um, The uh, Kwai Kwarty's website, kwaikwarty.com. Wikipedia, the murder of Eunice Oluwale. Wikipedia! Um, Right. Uh, Adelane Adepek Ade Pegba at Punch, Kingsley Omanobi, John Bosco Akba Kuru, Emmanuel Jana at Vanguard Sahara Reporters, Goodness Ade at Pulse, George Thomas at CBN News, uh, Benson Matheka writing for Nairobi News and Daily Nation, Martin Seeley at Kenyans.co.ke, Pekemoy Ngano at SDE, and Annette Wambuul. Bulwa at the star.
1: That's a lot of sources. Yes. Okay. That was good. That was good. That was very tragic.
0: It was interesting that they were, they were like kind of the same, but kind of a lot different too. Anyway.
1: Yeah. So we didn't discuss, we didn't like get together and discuss, hey, what are you doing this week? What are you doing no. this week? And I think it's interesting that you chose Murder from Africa because I am doing, it's not a Murder from Africa, but it is a mystery. Um... About an African-American cemetery. Oh, okay. So this is the story of Zion Cemetery. So let's... St- I'm going to start off by saying that I got this idea from Reddit. And the reporters themselves did an AMA and asked me anything on Reddit. And they presented their story and their findings. And there's a couple... There's a series of articles uh, with the facts and all and, and all types of things. And there's one main long-form article with with the story. And so that's where I got my source from the um the reporter's name is in here Somewhere and that reporter's
0: name is, is
1: um <laughs> i think his name is like Paul Guzzo yes okay okay yes all right <clears throat> so this is and the, and just like yours is it's it's tragic and okay. it's Sad, And this is what happens in American history and our terrible, terrible history of racism, especially against um, those in the African-American community. Um, so this is in Tampa Bay, Florida. Um, Zion Cemetery was the first African American African American cemetery recognized by the city. It once occupied two and a half acres of land, um, about eight hundred or so graves, and there is no sign of it anymore. Um, it was on a North Florida Avenue stretch, and it's now a couple of uh, Columbia Restaurant warehouses. And it's also the back of a housing complex, so that's what's left of oh. it. Fucking sad. It was established in 1901, and there's there's a lot of there's a lot of issues here and, and why it's a mystery. And one of them is because, uh, I mean, the main reason is because African Americans in this time and still today were treated as second class citizens. So not of not a lot of deaths were recorded. Graves went unmarked. Um, documents that, sh- and documents and burials and rem- and maybe even, um, relocations that should have mm. been documented and reported on were not exactly. Um, there's just a lot of missing information. So all of this started with um, a cemetery historian named Ray Reed, and he. Um, is actually kind of doing it as a hobby during his retirement. He started pouring over genealogy websites and uh, he's been doing this since 2015. He's, he's, Started locating and identifying death certificates, and like as he's doing this, he he keeps coming across the name Zion Cemetery, and he he he's never heard of it before, right? Um, so he reaches out to the Tampa Bay Times, and they're the ones, and the reporter mm. Paul Guzzo is from Tampa Bay Times, and they're the ones that actually start looking into this. Uh,
0: I I'm pretty sure Tampa Bay Times like a sneakily really good. Like newspaper.
1: Yeah, they have a lot of. um, there's I think a, it's there's a lot of things I found. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think it's it. It might be one old, of those old where old it, newspaper too. It's like tied to one of the universities as well, so they get like funded. get into that. Okay. Yes, okay. Yes. Cool.
1: Um. Okay. And so local historians, um, both local historians and like churches linked that were supposedly linked to the Zion Cemetery, they had never heard of it. Um. So some families who have also been in Tampa, you know, for generations, uh, and when reporters talked to them, they were like, yeah, I like kind of recognize the name, but I don't know anything about it or what it is or where it is exactly. And, and that's really it. Hmm. So the times started investigating, right? They looked into it and what they did was they tried to locate the bodies to see if they had been moved. Right. So there were 382 death certificates um, from 1913 to 1920 that were found with Zion Cemetery as the burial site. Hmm. And the original map was found with 800-plus burial sites. So they compared that with a list of those buried in other cemeteries, like maybe some removed. And those the other cemeteries that were, are over in Tampa is Memorial Park Cemetery, Jackson Heights Cemetery, um, Marty Slash Cullen Cemetery, Oak Lawn Cemetery, and Woodlawn Cemetery. So they found, they connected seven um, names that were at Memorial Park Cemetery and three that were at uh, Woodlawn Cemetery. And um, so let's get into, like, like the history um, a little bit. So Zion, like I said, earlier, was founded in 1901 um, by Richard Doby, a wealthy, uh, black businessman, landowner, developer. He purchased, he actually purchased the land in, um, nine or er, 1894 for $1 from Isaac W. Warner. And, um, Richard Doby himself was, was a, was a staple in the African-American community. You know, and he, and he helped establish, um, that, that part of the community. And he, he looked at the land and he saw the need for a school, um, a church and a cemetery. And at this time, Oak Lawn Cemetery, um, did allow both black and white burials, but it was getting full. So was Wood Lawn Cemetery. They had a section for African-Americans as well, but it was also getting full And and Tampa's population just grew and grew and grew during this time. Um so in in nineteen oh one was when the map of Zion um was filed officially with the Hillsborough County Clerk's office. Um and like I said, there are two two hundred two point five acres and it had uh ninety eight sections. And um when the land was originally bought, Mark Mount Carmel AME Church uh, begins to hold services in the one-room Robles Pond Elementary School. So they had the school there, they had um, church services on Sunday, and then they had the cemetery. Four years later, in 1905, in August, uh, Zion was mentioned for the first time in a newspaper. Um, But it was only just, it wasn't, it wasn't, um, described by name it was just described as the african-american cemetery as quote the african-american cemetery north of the city limits and this uh description is actually used a lot to describe zion cemetery as they poured through records and newspapers and such so um it was sold again in 1907 by richard Doby, and he sold it for 300 dollars to uh Florida Industrial and Commercial Company. So uh, the Florida Industrial and Commercial Company is a Black-owned business that made caskets, they made furniture, and they made um, musical instruments. So they're the ones who, um, from that time, owned the land. And at this point, um, in 1907 as well, Mount uh, Carmel AME Church moves a block away from Zion Cemetery. Uh, about five years later, in nineteen twelve James J. Head, who is a former county treasurer, claims that he owns Zion Cemetery because he paid its back taxes but um florida industrial um, industrial and commercial company you know they retained their ownership and they said that 's not true this is our this is our place and um it was after that time that the ownership was hard to track. Like when I was reading through the AMA, they said the most difficult thing was tracking the ownership and the deals and who, when it was sold and what, who the land belonged to. And Mm. there's actually a pretty good stretch of time where they just don't know who owned the land or really what, what was done with it. Um, and in 1914, Tampa grows to officially include, um, Zion cemetery as part of the town. A year later, in 1915, it was given a numerical address in the Polk City Directory, 3801 North Florida Avenue was officially Zion Cemetery. Um, and in March of that year, they it was auctioned off by the county sheriff's office to pay um, like a debt or something like that. Yeah, it was just... Okay. Yeah. Um So
0: it seems a bit crass, but okay. Exactly.
1: (laughs) And it was not at that point on is is when it was really unclear as to who purchased the land when it was auctioned. So Hmm. we we really don't know. Um and in 1921, New Salem Christian Church appears in the city directory. On uh Zion Cemetery property, so at this point where they're like looking through all the history records and slowly and slowly, Zion cemetery starts to to disappear, but it comes up in different places and one mm. of the places they they saw, they found that this church was in the directory, and they said, "Oh look, that's on the cemetery property, but there's no mention of the cemetery a few years later in December of nineteen twenty three uh the Tampa Times lists Zion Cemetery in a list of prominent cemeteries um but it doesn't appear in the annual Polk City directory this year and it never reappears that was the last time that it was really mentioned um so by 1925 run, runs around um and uh t- the mid 20s and 30s on is really when uh, Tampa as a city begins to change. It was, you know, originally, and this is like many, many, many cities (laughs) in America, um, a majority black city. And it begins to um, be overrun with with white suburban families who who start to move in. So black communities... This was
0: before white flight. This was like, where people went to and then they white flighted from
1: yes yeah that happened in chicago
0: too yeah for
1: sure um so black communities are overrun by white developments and um so even even those in the cemetery uh seem to be forgotten and it's not uh they aren't actively burying more people there Mm -hmm. at least that's what we think we don't know right
0: according to the records they could find
1: right okay so in 1926 um in august of 1926 tampa times reports that 50 bodies were removed quote from a black cemetery in st petersburg but that's as close as they get to any really Hmm. mention of, of bodies being moved from a black cemetery that's it um january 28th of 1926 alice w fuller of los angeles sells zion to Tampa developer H.P. Kennedy for a dollar. So, and at this point, it's also unclear as to who sold it to Fuller and when. So how it got into her hands, we don't know. But all of a sudden, here it was being mentioned Hmm. in, in the paper in 1926. Um and in 1929, in February of 1929, Tampa Times also reports that H. P. Kennedy obtained approval to build a five-shop storefront on Florida Avenue, um, which is Zion Cemetery property. And um, in November of November 16th, 1951, is really the next time we hear anything about the cemetery, in that there was there were um, construction workers. For building um a new apartment complex called Robles Park Robles Park Village and as they're digging they found several unmarked graves um you know during construction hmm. and there were three caskets found and identified and so city reporters said that the bodies from uh, Zion Cemetery were relocated in 1925, so they were like, "Oh, just keep building, like it's fine." It should have been a red flag, but the reporter was right. like, "No, the bodies were moved. You're fine. You're good to go." Um, uh, and and they got that information apparently by someone who who had bought the property then. So. And like I said, there's really no records of that move. Mm -hmm. Um, There were no records of uh, the bodies that were that that were located ever being moved. So, um, like I said before, there were seven found in. What what did it say? There were seven found in um, at Memorial and three at Woodlawn Cemetery and then the three that were found during construction. So those 13 bodies, there was never any, they never really found any recollection of, or um, documentation of those bodies ever being moved anywhere. But they found them by basically comparing Mm. um, certificates. Mm -hmm. So um, genealogy sites also uh, show that there are no death certificates after 1921 with Zion Cemetery um, labeled as the burial place. Also note that Memorial Cemetery opened in 1919. So maybe the, um, the 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 thought there is that maybe Memorial took out all of the business, like people they started burying people over there instead mm. of in Zion. But again, we we don't know. Um, and 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 you know when when human remains are are moved there there should be a paper trail okay yeah. and it's 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 not surprising if there were like many people moved without documentation again cuz african americans during this time and continue to be second class citizens um but still like a lot but large... especially
0: then i mean there, there was especially a level of, then. Yes. of dehumanization that was uh acculturated that would have you know, right. almost made it surprising if there were, you know, documentation. You right. Know, you would almost assume there wouldn't be.
1: Yeah, and there's all there's and there's and you know, even if you know this is going on, there's only so much hell you can raise as an African American in you know the late 20s. You know, like yeah, yeah. Re-
0: read a read a Richard Wright novel. I did that recently. Oh yes, <laughs> yeah. You if did. you want to get a bit of a an idea of the scope of the tragedy of black life in Absolutely the 20s and 30s terrible. in America. It's, yeah, it's and this is just one really of good. The many, I, would, I would definitely tell people to read Richard Wright. I mean, it's a great, great writer. But yeah, yeah. it's crazy.
1: And this is just many, one of the many consequences. Yeah, um, yeah. So, like I said, a large scale relocation, even even um, of an African American cemetery, would have at least been mentioned somewhere in the papers. But there was there was mm. nothing. Um, but there was one mention of relocating Zion remains found in a handwritten letter that was sent in 1989. So the mother of late civil rights activist, Robert Saunders told Leland Hawes, uh, who was the letter writer that African-American bodies from quote, a burial ground in an area North of downtown called Robles pond end quote, were moved to quote, parts unknown. Hmm. Um, and you know, as to where that is, who knows, you know, they've poured over tens of thousands of records and they never found the bodies. Wow. So let's talk about, um, some of, some of the people there. So those buried in Zion would have been laborers and, um, uh, the women would have been stay at home mothers or domestic workers. And these are the people that basically built Tampa Bay themselves. And, 20% of the death certificates found were born before the end of the Civil War in 1865. And in it was the early to mid-20s as well were when the KKK were most active. Th- throughout the 20th century, it was, it was the early to mid-20 uh, decades, the 20s was when they were you know, open, had ads in newspapers, were recru- mm-hmm. openly recruiting people and, and, and shit like that. There were
0: millions of members, multiple members of Congress. It was reformulated in uh, in uh, Indiana.
1: Oh, that's nice.
0: In the 20s, yeah, after it was uh, stamped out by Grant.
1: Yeah, absolutely fucking terrible.
0: But, it, it, yeah, it existed everywhere. It was, yeah. yeah. literally, like, mill- tens of millions of members. It's insane.
1: Yeah, so it's, I mean, it's obvious to say that African Americans were... They were pretty powerless. You know, it was difficult to, to fight for the land that they owned, Um, right. especially since they couldn't prove it. And if they could prove it, nobody cared. So, um, uh, what does it say? Lots most likely chose to, oh, lots of people. I was like, lots, what? <laughs> um, so yeah, lots of people most likely chose to head north because of all this oppression, you know, and they were, they as a consequence, they cut off their connections from Tampa, and so not many people even there today would remember Zion anyway, sure. because a lot of those people whose whose ancestors and relatives from generations sure. ago moved away.
0: It's interesting to consider the these, like, different factors of creating mystery, right? Yeah. there's, And it's interesting to, to consider them in that context, like, sort of amorally or, like, divorced from their other effects, like... What are things right. that create mystery? Yeah. Racism creates mystery. Yeah,
1: like why is this even a mystery in the first place?
0: Right, you know, it's 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 this just uh,
1: repression, straight up repression.
0: But and and it's interesting that it's 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 not it's like a second kind of level connection, right? Because you're racist, you don't see these as people, people as people, right, in the way that you should. So you don't keep the records, so that creates the mystery. It's, and it's, it's like, uh, um, finding these mysteries, I think, leads you to, it's a path to, like, a lot of, um, truths about people. It's like and, a puzzle. Like our, yeah. It's, yeah. Anyway, I don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> no, no, you're right. At all, but.
1: So, um, like I said, there was a series of, of articles, there were many, and one of them was, um some profiles of the people under the obituaries they found. So I'm going to read some of them. Great. Um, I have a man named LG Caro. He was born in 1839 and died in 1916. He was a minister who did weddings for local black couples. He was actually one of the, actually one of the oldest African American, African American residents, um, living there at the time. And in June of 1913, he, uh, broke a record And he performed 22 weddings in one week.
0: (laughs) That's a good good record.
1: Oh, yeah. Um, And he was also the founder of Greater Bethel Baptist Church, which he founded in the um, 1890s. And he also applied... Uh, to run for Tampa City Council at the time um, in 1904, but he backed out and he endorsed white candidates, um, which was pretty surprising to to a lot of the people because he had such a strong presence in the African-American community. Mm -hmm. Next I have John Newton. He was born in 1858, died in 1915. He was a married deacon who also ran a small lunch counter next to a bakery on Tampa Street. Um, In 1913, a customer refused to pay his bill in full, so John grabbed a kitchen axe and went after him. (laughs) Um, Customers broke up the altercation before anybody was hurt. Oh, yeah. Perry Maxwell, born in 1878, died in 1913. He was only 35 um december 13th 1913 at 9 p.m business owner william archer accused perry maxwell of using profanity in front of his wife a fight broke out and archer stabbed maxwell to death during the altercation and like he was only 35 so he was murdered um jesse green born in 1880 died in 1918 uh, he was a native of south carolina and described as a voodoo doctor he was also murdered murdered may thirty first nineteen eighteen he was um he died in the clara fry hospital and hospital attendants couldn't locate clothes for the burial so police went out to to his place and they found his garments um over at his home, and police also found a man named E.J. Chatfield there at the house, um, who's also a voodoo practitioner, and he had Green's $500 life insurance policy. That's what Mm. he was rummaging around for, and uh, he confessed and said that he had given Green a concoction, quote, containing iron nails, end (gasps) quote. Yeah, it's fucked up. Uh, Jesse Green was 38. And I have, last but not least, I have Perry Johnson, 1896 to 1913. He was only 17 years old, um, a foster child, and he drowned in the estuary channel near the Seaboard Viaduct, July 24th, 1913. He went swimming with two of his friends, and they coaxed him out into deeper water, and they didn't know that he couldn't swim well. Um, so they panicked, swam back to shore, <sighs> and they left him there, and oh he drowned. Oh, my God. Um, tragic.
0: Yeah.
1: So in in a later article, um, our main man, Ray Reed, who kind of started this whole uh, investigation, reported to have found names for 747 buried in Zion. So at this point, they're like... Okay, we think that the population for Zion Cemetery was much bigger than originally thought. Yeah. Um, other death certificates found have Robles Pond Cemetery listed. So they're mm. looking at these certificates and they're like, so maybe they could they were thinking of Zion Cemetery. Um there was no mention of a Robles Pond Cemetery um, in city directories or maps from the time, so they were like, "In Robles Pond was is the is also the property right. of Zion Cemetery." Well, I remember
0: you saying that people essentially used them interchangeably, right? There's like, "Oh yeah, it's like the one in Robles Pond."
1: Yeah, or so, the one north of the city. N-
0: right. Yeah. yeah, north of downtown. Right. Yeah,
1: and uh, the obituaries also say that Robles Pond was located on Florida Avenue. Okay. So. The, so as all this is being, you know, discovered and brought to light, the town of Tampa, they do want to continue investigating this, um, Tampa Bay Times reporter, Paul Guzzo and his photographer, James Burchuk, uh, you know, they, they've poured over thousands of records and they've never found the bodies and they did partner with University of South Florida, and the two current owners of what used to be Zion Land, Tampa Housing Authority, and um, owner of, I think, I think he was the owner of one of the restaurants there, um, Rich, his name is Richard Gonsmart, and they're also um, partnered up in the investigation to see if there are more bodies, mm-hmm. and uh, there are plans in the future to use ground-penetrating radar um, to keep looking. Yeah. and. Two state senators also introduced legislation in late June, so like uh, three, four weeks ago. Oh, wow. Yeah, this is like very current, and it's still ongoing. They're still looking into it. Yeah. Um, they introduced legislation to preserve and identify forgotten African-American burial sites. One of them uh, was Senator Janet Cruz of Tampa and Senator Audrey Gibson of Jacksonville. Um, they announced that they'll be forming a task force to keep looking into... Um, to, to Zion Cemetery. And um, they have a th- they have the same team looking for these graves have also looked for the graves of the boy the students at Dozier School for Boys. So that is another mystery which maybe I'll talk about, hmm. you know, within the next few weeks or so. But basically the Dozier School of Boys is a reform school um, from 1900 to 2011 that is notorious for its abuse. And it also has missing graves and it's believed that over 100 boys died while attending the school there.
0: I seem to remember hearing about it. Yeah. yeah. So
1: the, the team that's looking for into mm. that is also looking into this as well. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough search and, yeah. uh, African Americans could not generally afford grave markers, you know, um, um, is specifically, ones that could stand the test of time. So that's sure. also um, one of the reasons why another
0: why source was... of the mystery.
1: Exactly, exactly. Just like you were saying, there's lots of layers to it.
0: Right. Um, a lot of factors to consider. Yes.
1: Unfortunately, lost African American grave sites. I learned this today. Are common. Like, it, it's a thing. Mm. Uh, Thirty-one have been found throughout the country since 2010. Um, some examples of these are one that was that was found during construction of a General Services Administration office in Manhattan in 1991. African American graves were found 24 feet below ground, um, Newburgh, New York, in 2017. Workers that were converting a school to a courthouse found um, graves that had been severed by underground utility lines. Mm. And so to end, I have I have some quotes. And this is um, Byron Presley, the preacher at First Mount Carmel AME Church, describing um, what it's like being on the property. He says, quote, I don't know how to explain it to people, but there's a feeling you get as if there were people there. Their spirit was kind of still there because I could feel it. I stood there in awe. There used to be a cemetery there and it just gave me chills, end quote. And I have a quote from Luis Vieira, who is um, the councilman representing the North Tampa area. He says that, um, um, and a lot of people say this, is not the only one saying that there should be a memorial honoring Zion Cemetery and, and its history uh, that should be put up. Quote, Tampa should honor the stories and names of those forgotten souls and work with proper local inst- institutions like the University of South Florida to get all of the information necessary to respect and honor these names. These are the hands that built America, often against their will. Let's give them the respect that they are due. End quote.
0: Can't argue with that. Can't
1: argue with that. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> um, so, next we have weird shit in the news.
0: Oh, did you have sources?
1: Oh, my sources were the... Um, the oh, you of kind the of the already Times talked articles, about it. Yeah. Uh, Paul Guzzo...
0: Right, you already, the reporter. you already talked about your thing. Sorry, sorry,
1: and but before I want before we get into weird shit in the news, sure. I want to talk about the um, recent death of Sadie Roberts Joseph.
0: Oh, I thought you were going to say John Paul, John Paul Stevens. Is he black? No. Then I don't care. He was, he was care. the justice. <laughs> I, should I care? Sorry, go ahead. Maybe
1: I should care. He I don't was know.
0: 99 years old. I, then so I no. don't care. Let's <laughs> talk about, way.
1: do not ruin the memory of Sadie Roberts-Joseph with a meager 99-year-old white man, all right? <laughs> okay, go so ahead. So let's talk about Miss Roberts-Joseph. She was a extremely well-respected community leader in Baton Rouge, Louisiana um she was murdered um mm. at the age of 75 and it's it's so fucked up. It's super super fucked up. She was the founder of the city's African American History Museum. She was a oh, huge activist. Yeah. She even um joined up with police to advocate against um like drug use and violence in communities. She was a gem of a woman mm. and she was um, murdered and her body was discovered in the trunk of her own car and um, two anonymous phone calls is what led the police to found, to find her body. And um, she died of uh, asphyxiation. Mm. That's what they, um, determined that was it was it most likely that she was um, suffocated. So on uh, Tuesday, they arrested this asshole named Ron Jermaine Bell, who um, was her tenant, and oh. he owed her, I guess, like $1,200 or some something really fucking stupid, so he killed her. And I just wanted to talk wow. about um this this amazing woman and I right. wanted to honor her as we were honoring, you know, lost graves of African Americans. Right. I definitely wanted to talk about her. Um they called her a quote, tireless advocate for peace, end quote. Yeah. Now let's lighten the mood. Okay. <laughs> Some weird shit, Some weird in, shit, the shit in the news. Okay. What you got for me?
0: Hard left turn. Okay. <laughs> okay. So uh, mine comes from the AP uh, Oddities page. Like I like to, to go there and find my weird shit. A classic, right? And it, the headline is Rattlesnake Uranium Whiskey Found During Traffic Stop. I heard
1: about this
0: in Guthrie, Oklahoma.
1: Oklahoma.
0: Come on, you know Oklahoma sucks. <laughs> I'm from Texas. Sorry if you're from Oklahoma. I don't mean anything against you. I'm just I'm from Texas. It's a rivalry. Okay. <laughs> so police in Oklahoma say they found a rattlesnake. A canister of radioactive powdered uranium and an open bottle of Kentucky Deluxe whiskey Terrible. during a traffic stop of a vehicle that had been reported stolen. So, wow! Not a good, not a good thing. Um, so yeah, this—I uh, don't know—Stephen this Jennings uh, was the name of the guy. He was charged with possession of a stolen vehicle, transporting an open container of liquor. They don't know how he got the uranium. Apparently, you can buy uranium more on Amazon. That's what, what it says in this article. Don't do that. I wouldn't do that if I were me or you <laughs> or anyone else.
1: <laughs> if you were you.
0: And <sighs> I mean, what is reality? What is real? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's, uh, I don't know. Oh, the, oh uh, no, there wasn't only those things. Okay. There were a few other things in the car as well. So there was uh, a um, gun. Oh, it's always good to have around, I guess. Yep. Uh, n- or not. Uh, a terrarium. uh what? Containing a pet timber rattlesnake. Oh, my God. Yep. That the car poor had everything. Snake. That car had everything you would need poor for snake. your whole life. <laughs> we don't know that he necessarily abused the snake. What the fuck was the with snake, the uranium? I, I died. Who knows? <gasps> who Is the... it a mystery,
1: perhaps?
0: It's a mystery. Okay. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Okay, go. Please. I have weird shit in the news. <laughs> Do you?
1: And my weird shit in the news is actually it's weird.
0: Not, it is, is weird. In the news, it's
1: pretty trendy. <laughs> Y'all probably heard about it. Oh
0: yes, right, right, right. What's but I definitely
1: wanted story? to talk about it because it's
0: it's weird.
1: It's weird. It's in our it's in Although our, it's our also realm.
0: Kind of predictable.
1: Well, it's I didn't think it was predictable. Okay, so let's talk about it. Okay. There are four hundred thousand plus people. Uh... <laughs>
0: Who are going to storm Area, Area Fifty One? <laughs> or not?
1: Um, I joined the event. Good uh, for you. I think seventy five percent and more I mean, are. It's a it's a joke. It's a meme. It became sure. popular, a randomly popular Facebook event. And but um, the real mystery the is how many
0: people are really going to do it. Sorry, sorry. Go, go, go,
1: I mean, you're right. right. And the authorities have like already like said, "Hey guys, like we're armed and ready for y'all." It's it's not happening to like. <laughs> September twentieth and the event is titled Storm Area Fifty One. They can't stop all of us. (laughs) God damn it.
0: That sounds like
1: memes everywhere.
0: Just that that just sounds like famous last words, you know. It's like, no, I'm pretty sure they could stop everyone if they wanted to. (laughs) And as we talked about in our episode about Area Fifty One, like there's the fences and barriers are miles away from anything interesting. And then what? You're gonna find like the new spy plane? Like, okay, great, cool. Now you know what it looks like. <laughs> I don't get it. Holy I don't shit. get people sometimes.
1: No, I don't. I think it's um, it's zeitgeist A lot, know, lot of UFO sure. enthusiasts who. Sure. Uh, I don't think they're serious. I'm. I'm. am excited for September now. I'm. Ge- I'm <laughs> genuinely excited to who's I'm gonna actually. To like, get out and go. Do it and they'll get there, have. they'll get there. There's like 11 people, <laughs>
0: right? And it's like, this happens like, people go to Area 51, they try to get in. Like, it's not like this hasn't happened several times. I
1: know this <laughs> one just got really popular really fast,
0: but that's what the internet's good for, right? Whether you're trying to foment protest in Hong Kong or fucking storm Area 51, internet's Those good are for too you know, very uh disparate, yeah. <laughs> That's. I was trying to make a artful juxtaposition. Thanks for listening, guys. Yeah,
1: guys, thanks so much. 80 episodes uh, in.
0: So, yeah, we're going to keep pumping them out and uh, try to keep getting better. Yeah, we'll try to uh,
1: get our shit together. Get, Let's get together. let yeah, yeah, get our yeah. shit together. Why don't you? That's our new segment.
0: <laughs> so hit us up on Instagram, Facebook, Facebook and, uh,
1: Twitter,
0: Twitter, Twitter. Mario text thirty. Uh, have a have a good Wednesday or Thursday. I guess this is coming up pretty late, but anyway. Thanks for thanks, your guys.
1: patience. Okay, bye. Bye.